Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the extortion that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Because this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not so much more be subjects of the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but then he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Bob Blonick. I'm one of the elders here at Faith Church. Used to be on staff. Left three and a half years ago to semi-retire. I'm now the area representative for the Great Lakes District of the Evangelical Free Church of America. And I get to be Pastor Joey's, Pastor Jeff, Tom's, and Nathan's pastor which is becoming a full-time job, I'm discovering. But thank you to Joey and Jeff for allowing me to come and get back into this pulpit. It feels pretty good up here again. Sixteen years ago, I had an experience in my life, an event that changed my life, changed my faith, took me to a deeper level, changed my walk with God, changed me as a man. I was in Beijing, China, on a trip with a mission agency with 19 other pastors from America. We had a chance to meet with house church pastors, underground Chinese house church pastors in the capital city of Beijing. They had traveled hundreds, almost thousands of miles to meet with us. I felt like I was in a James Bond movie as they split us up into twos and we snuck into the hotel into this room that was being guarded. They did not want the authorities to know that these men were underground church pastors. They would be put in prison. We were supposed to meet with ten of them. Only five showed up because they had been, the other five had been caught on the train. Don't know what happened to them. But for two hours I sat and listened to these warriors of the faith share their stories with us and two of their wives share their stories. Every one of them had been in prison for their faith. Every one of them had been beaten for their faith. One of the ladies, the wife, shared with us she had been hung up by her wrist and beaten around the abdomen with iron rods to the point where she was told she would never have children again. They also shared blessings. They shared stories of how the church was growing in China. 
how this underground movement was growing besides the persecution. And so I sat there and listened to this, and I was changed. <laughs> A white Western American Christian, what did I know about persecution? And so our leader asked them, what can we do to help? Of course, we had brought money to give to them. They really didn't want it, we found out. I thought that's what they would want, is resources and money. And the leader simply said, no, all we want from you in America is to pray for us. But we have a unique prayer request for you. Would you please tell your people in your churches in America to pray for more persecution for us? Would you pray that we would be allowed to go back to prison for our faith? Would you pray that more, more of us would be killed for our faith because in China what is growing the church is martyrdom and persecution. And I sat there and I wept. What did I know about persecution? But then I looked over at the pastor's wife who, was, who had been told she'd never have children who was holding her two-year-old daughter. And saw that in the midst of Trials and tribulation, God can, can work mightily. What do you do when you face persecution? When you face hardships, when you face trials in life? What is it that's really got you down right now, that's wearing you out in your lifelong race? Is it a, are you struggling mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically? Is it a, a relationship issue? Maybe a marriage, a parent-child, work uh, just struggling with relationship with someone? How do you keep going? Do you ever get to the point where you're just kind of tired and weary and ready to give up? Well, that's what the author is talking about here in chapter 12 of Hebrews. He's talking about endurance. Pastor Jeff told us about that last week in verses 1 and 2 about how we, in the midst of a race, uh, the, the metaphor of a, a marathon life race, we're to, we're to keep strong, we're to keep our eyes on Jesus, and we're, we're also being cheered on, as he pointed out, by this great cloud of witnesses around us who have gone before and are cheering us on. I, I had an experience that kind of taught me about that 30-some years ago when I, I don't know why I did this, because I'm not a runner. I mean, look at me, I'm not a runner, I'm a jogger, I'm a plotter, but my pastor talked me into going to Colorado and running in the boulder, boulder with him. A 10K race, 25,000 runners. We gathered at the starting line. Well, they started us in groups of 1,000. I was in the very last group because of my time. Ran through the streets of Boulder. My goal was not to walk. And I made my goal because people along the way were encouraging me as I ran thinking about you people who ran yesterday in the rain, God bless you, uh, that you survived that. But uh, the best part about the race is when you get to the end, you get to the Colorado <clears throat> Buffalo football stadium, and you get to do the last lap of the race around the football stadium in, inside. And all the people that have gotten there before you are cheering for you. By the time I got there, it was full. You know, 20, 25,000 people. Go, Bob. They didn't know who I was, but 
I felt they were cheering for me, and they, they cheered me on to the finish line when I felt like stopping, when I felt like giving up. They encouraged me to keep going. That's what Jeff preached on last week, greater endurance. These people are getting tired. We'll see that in the passage. But they're told to endure, and we know this passage is about endurance because he uses the word for endure five times in chapter 12 of Hebrews. What does it mean to endure? It means to bear with, to continue despite difficulty and suffering, to stand strong against persecution, much like those Chinese pastors. Do you ever wonder how you're going to make it? I do. How am I going to get through this week, this month, what's ahead? Well, the author's going to teach us that. I'm going to I'm going to use a word that Joey shared with me a couple weeks ago when the pastors and I were studying this passage together. It's the word savor. There's some things we need to savor. What does savor mean? Savor means to taste something and enjoy it completely. Not just to taste it, but to enjoy it completely. I I got a better appreciation of that word savor when some generous person gave Jeannie and I a gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Have you ever been to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse? Oh my goodness. We sat down, we ordered our food, and we ordered filet mignon, and I took a bite of that steak. Now understand, I've grown up eating steak. I've grown up grilling steak. I think I'm a pretty good griller. In fact, Joey's let me grill at the Men of Faith Grilling. So I, I think I'm learning that. I've eaten a lot of steak, but I took a bite of that steak, and I tell you, I had never savored a steak like I savored that steak. I looked at Jean, her eyes were like this, it's like, oh my goodness. And I'm sure we upset the people around us all night because as we ate that meal, we're both going, mmm, oh, mm. I didn't want it to end. That's savoring. Well, the author's going to show us there are three things here that we need to savor as we're in that run, that journey, that on our way to the promised land, to the finish line. The first thing he tells us to savor is savor the Son. Savor the Son, Jesus Christ. Now back in verse 2, Jeff pointed out last week, it says, look to Jesus. Here it uses a deeper word, consider him. Consider Jesus. Think upon him. Meditate on the hostility that he faced, the persecution that he faced. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may grow weary or faint, you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That word weary means to become physically tired. Faint-hearted means to, to become discouraged, to lose heart. Augustine used those two words in combination to describe a runner who has crossed the finish line of a marathon race and collapsed in exhaustion. So maybe you're there today, you're feeling a little tired, you're feeling a little faint-hearted. And what he's doing here, he's using a form of argument from the greater to the lesser. Consider him who endures such hostilities. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. But he had. That's That's what Jesus did. He was scourged for me. He was crucified for me. He shed his blood. He went all the way. He finished his race. And he serves as a greater example to me when I'm facing lesser persecution. To keep going. 
much like those Chinese pastors. Some of them, I don't know, maybe some of them have been martyred. I'll find out when I get to that finish line and see them again. So keep going. When you're weary and you're faint-hearted, don't give up. Savor the Son, what He did for you, how He gave His life for you, how He gave His life for me. I didn't have anything to do to earn it. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me, Romans 5.8. I didn't do anything to earn it. He did it for me. So He serves as that greater example that encourages me in my running. But we don't stop there, and the author doesn't stop there. Not just savor the Son, but now we savor the Father. We savor the Father. Verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He's kind of reprimanding the readers here. Come on. Have you forgotten that you're sons of, a, of your heavenly Father? And let me just take a word to talk about, a minute to talk about the word sons. Ladies, that includes you. In their culture, only, only men were allowed to do legal matters. So this includes you. So when you read through this passage, include yourself, sons and daughters, or his children, if you would. And then he does something, the author does something we're going to see many times in our passage today, and many times in the book of Hebrews, he quotes from the Old Testament. He brings the Old Testament up to today, into the New Testament. He quotes from Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. My son, oh, I love that, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. While we were studying this, Joey also suggested when you see that word discipline, maybe cross it out and put in the words directs and corrects, because that's what discipline is. It's, discipline is training. It's like homeschooling, but, but there's a side of it. There's, there's discipline for learning, and then there's chastisement and reproof for punishment. You know, when I was growing up, Gene uh, will, will say that I was probably ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, without medication. She would probably say that's what I am today also. But I was, a, I was an on-the-go kid all the time. I mean, I was going 100 miles an hour. In fact, my mom, for a break, would take me out in the backyard, put a little harness on me, and attach me by a rope to the laundry line, and I would run back and forth. I had a path. I mean, I loved it. Now, today, Child Protective Services would be called if you saw someone doing that. But it gave my mom a break and it got the energy out of me. Now, I was a messy kid. I didn't like cleaning up my room. You know, I didn't like making my bed. I, I learned how to make my bed in the Army. <laughs> but back then, I didn't know how to make my bed. And so they, they disciplined me. They directed me. They set up a reward system. You know, on the refrigerator, Bobby, do this. Bobby, do that. Bobby, if my mom was here today, I'd still be Bobby. Okay, Bobby, do this. And then I would get an allowance. That's training. That's directing. But then there's another side of discipline, correcting the reproof and chastisement. Because of my activity, sometimes words came out of my mouth that shouldn't have come out of my mouth. Uh, I said a couple things to my mom a number of times, and I got to become really good friends with a bar of ivory soap. My mom would walk me into the bathroom 
and make me wash my mouth out with soap. That was a form of punishment. Now, so I become a father. And I have this little four-year-old girl, and I hear her sassing back to her mom. Well, okay, let's go get the soap. Take her into the bathroom. No bar of soap. What do you do, Dad? Well, there was this pump bottle of soap on the... <laughs> so I picked it up, and I said, okay, open your mouth. I squirted it on her tongue. I said, now swish it around a little bit. Well, we both lost it when bubbles started coming out of her mouth. <laughs> and I realized that didn't work very well. There were times that little girl looked me in the eye and said, I hate you, Dad. You're the only father that has that rule. <laughs> you ever heard that, Dad? That same girl, when she was in college, wrote Jean and I a letter and said, thank you for saying no when I wanted you to say yes. Well, that's what the Father has to do with us. He has to discipline us. Sometimes that persecution, those hardships, those difficulties, he's using to direct us and correct us and to make us more like his son. We learn that in the following verses, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's a rhetorical question. No, no every father is going to discipline their child. And now he's, he's, he's moving now. He's moving from greater to lesser, from lesser to greater here. He's changing his argument here. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You see, discipline, hardships, persecution is proof that we're his sons, that we're his daughters. Verse 8, besides this, we have, here we go, lesser to greater, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. You know, I have a quote from William Gurnall, who, uh, let's put it up on the screen, if we could. Anglican churchman, God would not rub so hard if it were not to fetch out the dirt that is ingrained in our natures. God loves purity so well he would rather see a hole than a spot in this child's garments. Wow. I don't like it when God is rubbing hard on me with difficulties, persecutions, and trials. But he cares more about the purity of, of sharing in Christ's holiness. That's why he's growing me. He, he's helping me to, to learn that. You know, I had to get some more punishment, even more, Remember when I was about seven or eight, I went down to Paramount Pharmacy where uh, I always went after a Little League game to get a soda, but this time I was with my mom shopping, and on the, on the shelf in front of me was my favorite candy bar, the Almond, Almond Joy candy bar. So, Mom, can I get this? No, Bobby, no. It's, you know, it's right before dinner. Come on, Mom. No, 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 no. Uh, I stopped because I didn't want my mouth washed out with soap. Uh, but when she turned her back, I grabbed the candy bar and put it in my pocket. I didn't know I was breaking a law. I was too young to know I was breaking a, a law, shoplifting. 
Went home. Mom saw me take it out of my pocket. We went to see Dad. And I got a spanking. I got a good spanking that day. Why? Because this was a character issue. This had to do with who I was going to become as a man. My dad sat me down, as I had to do with my children many times. And he had to discipline me, and he had to tell me, Bob, the name Blonick means integrity. It meant that to your grandfather. It means that to me. I want you to become a man of integrity. So I had to be chastised. I had to be punished to learn that. And I've tried to teach that to my children, especially my son, who carries the name of Blonick. Many times I sat him down and said, there's a lot of things that people can take away from you, David. They can take away your, your job. They can take away your money. They can take away your health. But there's one thing they can never take away from you, but you can choose to give it away, and that's your integrity. Because life is a series of choices. You see, my parents were teaching me. They were directing me. They were correcting me and teaching me discipline, through discipline, to endure and it's those life lessons I've learned that have helped me in my race as I'm racing towards that finish line. But notice he also says here in verse uh, 10, we're disciplined for just a short time by our fathers, earthly fathers. That's true. I mean, I had to discipline my kids growing up. But now that they're adults, I don't discipline them anymore. I mean, I will direct them if they ask for my advice, but I'm not going to discipline them. Well, but God disciplines us our whole life for what reason? For our good. To make us more like Christ and to share in his holiness. To become more righteous. That's, that's what, it's what God is doing. In verse 11, for the moment of discipline seems painful. Amen. <laughs> Rather than pleasant. Discipline's not fun. Hardship's not fun. Difficulties aren't fun, but for some reason God is allowing us to go through it for our good, but later, there it is, oh, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And again, the author uses a word that's an athletic metaphor, trained. You're trained by it. You're, you're strengthened by it. You're getting stronger for the race by it when it comes. I don't like discipline when it comes from my Heavenly Father, but it's for my good. It's making me more like Christ. Now, I know, I know that in a group this size, when I say this word, some of you cringe. Father. You don't like that word, Father, because you're, you may not even know who your father was. Maybe your father abandoned you. Maybe your father wasn't a hugger. You never heard the words, I love you, from your father. Maybe your father abused you in some way. So when you hear that word, Father, you kind of cringe. Well, I want to tell you about my Heavenly Father. <laughs> my Heavenly Father loves you more than you will ever know. I'm a firm believer that our image of our Heavenly Father is impacted by who our earthly father was. That scares me as an earthly father. 
Hopefully I represented the Heavenly Father well. So for people who are struggling, when I work with people in counseling who are struggling with their earthly father and how that has impacted their Heavenly Father, I tell them, you must believe in the Heavenly Father that is revealed and not the Father that you feel. You've got you to get to know the Father I know from the Bible, the one who loves you. And then you need to savor that relationship because he's with you every step of your lifelong race. One of my past associate pastors has started a ministry called Finding Father's Love. Dan Kuyper is his name, and he's written a great book, When Father is a Bad Word. His dad was an alcoholic who later came to Christ in his life. And Dan shares his story, of, and he's helped so many men and women around the country Finding Father's Love great book if you're struggling with that but you need to you need to understand your father yes you've got a bunch of cloud of witnesses there cheering you on but there's no one running with you like your heavenly father he's with you every step of the way so savor that savor the son savor the father and thirdly savor your sonship your sonship your relationship with that father I forgot a quote from C.S. Lewis. Let's go back to it. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. I don't like it when pain comes, but he gets my attention and he uses it to correct me. Savor our sonship. Therefore, verse 12, therefore, because of this, Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Well, that's what happens when you run. Talk to Joey today. He can hardly walk from running the mini marathon yesterday, right, Joey? Uh, he's got drooping hands and weak knees today. And we could read that, but we, we got to get deeper. We got to realize he's quoting from the Old Testament here. He's quoting Isaiah 35, verses 3 to 4. A prophecy given to the nation when they were moving from exile back to the promised land back to the city of Zion, and they're weary, and they're worn out, and he says, I will get you there. I will lift you up. I will be with you on the journey. Lift your drooping hands to the Lord, to the Father, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet. Well, again, that's a direct quote from Proverbs 4, 25 to 27. Let's put that verse up here on the screen. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So as sons and daughters, as we're running this race, we're to live out our sonship, live out our daughtership, if you will, to the world around us, and realize that the way we can do that is we've got to keep our, our, our path straight. We've got to lift our drooping hands and weak knees, and we've got to walk that straight path. Not get tempted by going to the right by this temptation or going to the left. We need to turn our foot away from evil and keep going. Why? So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That's how we're healed along the way. And then he, then he shares some ways we're to live with each other in community, as sons and daughters, as winsome ambassadors to our will. That's important, how we relate to the world out there, but how we relate to each other in community. 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
We're to strive for peace and strive for holiness. Now understand that I received both of these from God when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 42 years ago when I accepted the Lord, His cross brought me peace with the Father. And His holiness, Christ's holiness, was, big theological word, imputed to me, was accredited to my account. So I received His holiness, because without that holiness, you will not see the Lord. If you don't have the holiness that comes from knowing Christ, you're not going to see the Lord. So he's already given me those, so why is he telling me to, to strive for those things? Well, that's what we do in community. I haven't, I haven't finished the race yet. I've got more to learn, more to do. So I want to strive for peace with my brothers and sisters, and I want to walk together as we strive for holiness together. And then in verse 15 to 17, he shares three specific things. He says, see to it. It's kind of a command. It's, see to it that you don't do these things. He switches from the positive of going for peace and holiness to some warnings here. See to it that first, no one fails to obtain the grace of God. What is grace? You've heard it before. Mercy is not, is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's giving people grace when they don't deserve it. Be a gracious person on your run. Help others out. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Once again, we could just read that and say, okay, it's telling us not to be angry. I understand someone once said, bitterness is the poison you drink, thinking it's going to hurt someone else. But it's deeper than that, because what he's doing here is he's, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 29.18. That's where we hear the story about the root of bitterness that grew up in the camp on the exodus to the promised land. They started getting bitter, and it caused problems. Don't let that root of bitterness grow up in the camp. And we've got to be careful of that as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, as we walk together to the finish line, is not to get bitter with one another. Then he says in verse 18, and see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Commentators disagree on this, whether this is two groups of people, those who are sexually immoral and Esau. Others say he's talking about Esau who was sexually immoral. Well, when was Esau sexually immoral? Well, some would say it's when he married outside of the covenant. But either way, whether this is the main part to me is the last part. Don't be unholy like Esau. How was he unholy? He sold his birthright for a single meal. Genesis 25. Read the story. He comes in from hunting. He's hungry. His brother has fixed a nice pot of lentil stew. He says, give me some of that stew. And his brother says to him, sell me your birthright, and I'll give you some stew. And he makes the decision to sell his sonship his birthright for food. But we got to be careful we don't do that on the journey. We don't, we don't put aside our sonship for the pleasures of the world because it comes with a consequence. Verse 17, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent. So he sought it with tears. Choices bring consequences. 
I am who I am today because of the choices I've made in the past. I will be who I will be tomorrow based on the choices I make between now and then. Esau made a choice. He said, that sonship's not that important to me. I'm hungry. The author says, don't do that. Savor your sonship. Walk in your daughtership. Walk as a child of God. Wish I had more time to develop those verses more, but interesting, these themes that come out of these verses are going to be preached on in the next couple of weeks, few weeks. They come back in the next few passages. So there you have it, three ways to fight weariness and faint-heartedness when you're tired, to stand strong against difficulties, hardships, and persecution. And it serves as proof that we are his beloved children of the Most High God. So what he tells us is to consider the Son. Look at the Son in verses 3 and 4. Consider Him. And in 5 to 11 he says, Remember the Father, the Heavenly Father. And in 12 to 17 he says, Live out your sonship. What's our big idea today? Our big idea is this. Greater sons savor the Son, the Father, and their sonship. Do those three things as you run your race, and God will be there with you. That's what those Chinese pastors taught me. They taught me about endurance. That's what my parents taught me. They taught me integrity. That's what my Holy Father teaches me, my Heavenly Father, proof that I'm his son. So when I'm running the race and I'm getting discouraged and the devil is saying to me, oh, you're not worth anything, Bob, I can call back. No, I am a beloved child of the Most High Heavenly Father. And he loves me and he's walking with me. I don't know about you, but I want to savor the son in my life. All he has done for me. I want to savor my Heavenly Father. I want to follow his leading when I'm in the desert. And I want to savor my sonship and live it out so that others could come to know this Father through the Son. How about you? Will you join me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this author. We don't know exactly who this author is. May have been Paul, maybe not. We don't know. That's not important. What's important is that what he wrote is applicable to us today. And it will change our life if we allow it to. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. May we live as sons and daughters for you. And may we bring honor to your name when we face persecution. And thank you for your discipline, for it is good and it allows us to share in your holiness. Pray this in the bold and mighty name of the risen Christ. All God's people said, Amen.